0: There has to be a distinction made, we we struggle with this, but there has to be a distinction made between condemnation and evaluation according to godly standards. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? There is a massive distinction between condemnation and evaluation. The culture has said, don't judge. And many ignorant Christians, and yes, that is a thing, many ignorant Christians uh, assume that we are not supposed to judge either, but this is not the truth. This is not the truth. The scripture is clear that we are not to judge, meaning condemn. Meaning condemn. Okay, Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, but the same gospel account, as a matter of fact, the exact same chapter, spoken by the same Jesus, says that we as Christians will know each other, uh, we will know other Christians by their fruit, Matthew 7 16. This is the concept of evaluation. So we're going to evaluate people, we're going to see their behavior, we're going to see their life, and we're going to know whether or not they belong to the Lord, or whether or not they belong to uh, to the devil. The fruit-bearing Christians that are uh, that are talked about here in Matthew chapter 7 are contrasted with false prophets in chapter 7 verse 15. So 16 says, "We'll know each other by our fruits," and 15 says, and this is to the contrast of the false prophets that we're going before. In other words, it is very clear that we are going to evaluate one another and determine what is right, what is true. Amen. We're going to see this idea. So the distinction that we really need to understand is the distinction between condemnation and evaluation. We are all called to evaluate. We've also looked in times past it at different words that communicate these ideas of judgment. There are Greek terms that mean condemnation and only condemnation. There are Greek terms that mean uh, evaluation or assessment and only evaluation or assessment. But what do we do in Romans 14? What do we do in cases like Romans 14 or cases like Matthew 7 when the same term for judgment is used throughout what do we do when we hear these terms that can be translated either way? The term can be translated evaluation, the the term can be translated as condemnation. What are we supposed to do with this? How do we determine what is what? Well, the answer, the answer is my favorite answer in biblical interpretation. You already know my answer. The answer is context. It's an amazing thing. You see, dictionaries are really important for, for arriving at proper meaning, but dictionaries should never trump context. In Romans 14, verses four and 10, we have to keep in mind the relationship that is presented here, because this context is going to help us to understand the prohibition for judgment. There are three parties present in chapter two, or in chapter 14. Two servants. And one master. The weak in faith, the strong in faith, and the master. In verse 4, the question is, who are you to judge the servant of another? And you can follow along with me. Who are you to judge the servant of another? It seems, based on this, that the prohibition here is actually not against evaluation, uh, but it is against condemnation or the place from which we judge. The place from which we judge. Why? Because verse 4 says, you're not the judge. Who are you to judge the servant of another? When evaluating the conduct of a brother or sister in Christ Jesus, we have to remember that we are not their masters. We are our brother's keeper, but we are never told whatsoever in Scripture that we are our brother's master. Again, it's the place of judgment that Paul is prohibiting. In other words, we're not permitted to judge from the bench. You see the problem? The problem is us ascending to the place of God. In verse 10, go there. In verse 10, we see it a bit clearer. First, to the weak in faith, Paul asks, Why do you judge your brother? I love that because as we talked about last week, it is the weak in faith that are often judgmental. Why do you judge your brother? And then to the strong in faith, he asks, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Who holds people in contempt in a court of law church? The judge does, right? So why would you, why would you hold anybody in contempt? You're not the judge. Paul seems to answer this rhetorical question when he says this. He says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. What a humbling line there. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. How dare we jump in that place? How dare we ascend his throne? We have no place there. This relationship between brothers and sisters and servants is one of mutual humility and love. It's one of mutual humility and love. We are, whether we know this or not, uh, in contrast to God, we are the inferior party here. We don't make all the wise decisions that we need to make. We don't make all good decisions. We're not always just. To put ourselves in the place of God or master is to think far too highly of ourselves. This is to, this is to be a, a, a people of pride. And what does the scripture say? God rejects the proud but he gives grace to the humble. This is important. I've shared it many times in the past that our our race as Christians is a race to the back of the line. I wish I would have written that line. It's just a fantastic line, but that is our call. It's a race to the back of the line. In the story of the prodigal son, the trouble with the older brother is that in his own eyes, his judgment of his brother is placed equal with the father's. Just think about it for a second. The, the younger brother has come back from his wayward living. He's done everything that he shouldn't have done. He once thought he was smarter than his dad. He, he, has, he put himself in that position. He thought he was smarter than his dad. He spent all his money. He ended up living in pig squalor and all this other stuff, right? And so then he comes back. The father sees him far off. He runs to him. He falls on him. He kisses him. He puts a robe on his shoulders. He puts sandals on his feet. He reinstates him as a son by putting a ring on his finger. And then he throws a party for him. You guys all know this story. So he throws the party. When the older brother comes back and he hears the sound of people dancing and the, sing, the sound of people singing, he goes and he's got a frustration with this. What in the world is happening? And the servant of the master says, didn't you hear? Your brother has returned. He was once dead. He's now alive. He was once lost. He's now found. And he throws a little Temper tantrum. He throws a little hissy fit, and his father comes back and comes out and says, Isn't it right for us to rejoice in the fact that he's alive? Think about this for a second, church. The father is the only one who has the right to make the judgment. He's the only one who has the right to put the robe back on his son's shoulders or the sandals on his son's feet. He's the only one who has the right, and he does, he exercises the right, and he throws him a party. But what does the older brother do? Don't miss it. He ascends to the judgment seat and says, my view of my brother is on par with your view. I will tell you what needs to happen. And so he's stubborn and doesn't want to go into the party. How pitiful is this? This is an example of a prohibition with regard to judgment in the scriptures. We're not this people. If God shows mercy, then we rejoice. This is where Jonah went wrong in the Old Testament. It's where the Pharisees missed the point in Jesus' day. The Father's judgment is one of perfection, and ours is skewed because we are faulty people. Toward the prodigal, toward the Ninevites, and towards the sinners of Jesus' day, what was God's judgment, church? Mercy. It was mercy. Meanwhile, the other servants, Jonah, the older brother, and the Pharisees, jump into the seat of God and condemn. How? dare we how dare we this is the prohibition against judgment contrary to what the world says you you don't judge at all you can't call people out for their sin you can't do this and you can't do that they have no idea what they're talking about that's evaluation but if when you see their sin you say you're worthless and you have nothing to do with me or with god you be careful You've slipped completely into condemnation. You've jumped into the seat of the Father. Verse 13 goes on to show what Paul is getting at with these Roman Christians. He says this. He says, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine. That word determine is the same word for judge. It's the same root term. Uh, He says, therefore, we need to judge this. Don't judge, but judge this. Paul, what are you talking about? Evaluation isn't the problem. He says, evaluate this not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in your brother's way. Paul then connects that with love in verse 14. Read it. He says, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. What are we supposed to do? Of course we're supposed to love. Now, that's got to be defined by God's terms as well, and, and we've spent many, many sermons looking at that. Judgment in this context is not about assessment to help a brother or sister in love. That is the natural state of the Christian's life. Instead, it's a prohibition against setting ourselves on par with the Father. This is condemnation. Last week, I shared that we all too often accept the criticisms of the world You guys remember this part of the sermon. We accept the criticisms of the world. We should not do so. We should evaluate. We should judge rightly and find out whether or not we are off base. If we are, we repent. If we're not, we do not for a second allow the Christian life to be commandeered by a bunch of people in the world who just don't like to hear what we have to say. Please hear me correctly, church. We should not let false criticism hinder our obedience. The call to the Christian life is as James tells us in James 5, 19 and 20. He says, you, the one who turns a sinner from error has saved them. You know what is required to turn a sinner from error? You have to tell them they're a sinner. <laughs> you have to point out their sin. And then you have to call them to something. Greater. So the the culture really has us backed up against the wall, church. The culture has us backed up against the wall. The criticism has been levied against the church for so long now that even the saints of God accept it and they say, we shouldn't judge, we shouldn't judge, we shouldn't judge. Let me give you one of, the, one of the more nefarious manifestations of this that we see because the devil is, is plotting and scheming, right? He, he plants these ideas inside of the church. People will say, you should never pick on one particular sin because if you do, you need to call the Christians out for being gluttons and you need to be calling the Christians out for being this and being that. That's absolutely true. You see, there's another solution. Be an equal opportunity offender. Call everybody out on these things. That's my job in life, and it's not one that will win you many friends and influence people. But it is the call of the Christian life. To rescue the sinner from judgment is important. And why is all of this so important? Because the truth is, church, we're obeying God, and we will all, as Christians, stand before the judgment seat of God.